At this time, the children are dismissed for children's church and preschool play and worship. And I'll invite you who are staying to find the book of Proverbs in your Bible. We're going through Proverbs this month and next, gleaning wisdom for a new year. Last week, we talked about wisdom and discipline, mainly God's discipline. This week, we're going to talk about wisdom and neighbors. This is going to be a very rubber-meets-the-road, practical sermon for you today. If you've ever felt that I was preaching too much in the clouds of theology, uh, this will be way different from that. This is probably one of the most nuts-and-bolts sermons I've ever preached to you. This is about wisdom and neighbors. When I say neighbor... I'm referring simply to the people around you. Your neighbor is just the people near you in any given moment. So it does include your, your actual neighbors, people that live down the street from you and in your neighborhood. Uh, it also includes people that work in proximity to you, the people in your office or the office downstairs. Um, it can include, in short doses, it even includes the people who are driving beside you on the road, uh, the people waiting in front and behind of you in line at the grocery store. It's just the people around you. Jesus said that the second greatest commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. And someone said, well, who's my neighbor? And then he told a story, the Good Samaritan story, and basically his answer was, it's whoever's passing by you when you're in the ditch. It's, it's those who are near to you. The Good Samaritan chose to be a good neighbor. The others who passed the man beaten in the ditch we're bad neighbors. So your neighbor, neighbors are those who are near to you, but not necessarily family or friends. It's the most basic relationship that you can have with somebody. You know them, but they're not your brother or sister or father or mother, and they may not even be a friend that you guys hang out and you have a lot in common. Now, they could be. I grew up in what I called Broadwayville, which was, it was my house, was sort of in the center here. It was my house. I was just a kid. It was my dad's house. And then my grandparents, his parents lived over here across a field. And then my uncle, his brother, my aunt, his sister, and then my other uncle and his family. So we were neighbors and family. So family members, you have certain obligations and responsibilities to that go a little bit above and beyond just neighbors. And friends, you have some obligations and responsibilities toward that go a little bit above neighbors. But right now, we're just not talking about those. We're just talking about neighbors, just the people around you, okay? Now, what we're going to see is that our relationships with our neighbors ends up being really important to our well-being and the quality of our life. And so Proverbs has a lot to say about it. So before we start reading it, though, let's pray together. Would you bow with me? Father, I have looked at so many different Proverbs in preparation for this sermon, and uh, I have a great many in my notes, and I pray that you would guide me as I preach and guide us all through your word, that it be clear and helpful, that it will point us toward Jesus and not works righteousness, that you would be honored during this hour, and then through your word embedded into our hearts that you'd be honored in our, our life and how we relate to the people in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So what I have for you, I've, I've weaned down 
what Proverbs says about how we ought to relate to neighbors into kind of a top four list. And we'll go at it like a top list. So we'll start at number four. And each one, I think, is a little bit more heavily emphasized. And then we'll land on number one. So be thinking. I wonder what number one is. Also be thinking of your actual neighbors as we go through these scriptures. Think about the people that live near you, work near you, shop near you, the people in your lives. Those are the people with whom you'll live out these scriptures this week. So the first one... Or the number four, actually. How to be a wise neighbor. Be a good influence. Be a good influence. Think for a minute about your influence on your neighbors. What is your influence on your neighbors? The people that live, work, are around you. What's your influence on them? Are they better because you're in the neighborhood, because you're in the office? Are they worse? Because you're in proximity to them? Let's look first at Proverbs 12, 26. We're going to look at a lot of different Proverbs this morning. You'll need to flip around with me. Proverbs 12, 26. Proverbs 12, 26 says, One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked is leads them astray. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Character has a a bit of a contagious element to it. Your character affects the people around you. If you are righteous, it will function as kind of a guide to the people in your life, the people near you. I've shared this story with you before, but some of you may not have heard it. Um, One of my jobs I had before landing here, I was, I worked in a call center and I made calls for the Department of Transportation of Detroit. It was in North Carolina, but they had subbed out their calls to this little weird garage in North Carolina. And I was one of these guys in this call center and it was a lot of seminary students. And I was a seminary student. And it became evident to our manager that the slower we would go in our calls, the longer the job would take and the longer we'd get paid. So financially, the incentive for us was to actually slow down, and we would have more days of work, and we would get paid more over the long run. And so he was sharing that philosophy with us pretty honestly, and everybody's like, okay. And I'm ashamed to say, I was like, all right, if that's what we're doing, you know, I'm just here to earn money. And there was one guy in the group who just got increasingly tense during this meeting and just said, I can't do that. That's unethical. I'm here to do a good job. I'm not here to milk them, drive money by doing a bad job. And as soon as he said it, all the seminary students were like, oh, man, he's right. What were we thinking? And his character guided us. His righteousness was a guide to us. Whereas this manager, it was really a, a crooked thing he was trying to do. And it was leading us astray. So what influence do you have on the people around you? With what you say, what you value how you talk. Let's read one more. Proverbs sixteen twenty nine. Proverbs sixteen twenty nine. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. 
you know, peer pressure is not just for middle school. Peer pressure is a continuous factor in our lives, even as we grow into adulthood, even senior adulthood. And the way we live exerts a, a pressure on the people around us. They'll either go along or not, but we are always putting this pressure on the people around us, even when we don't realize it. And the wise person becomes aware of the pressure they're putting on the people around them and makes it a good influence. When we lived in Raleigh, I was a broke seminary student, and I married Meredith, as you might have guessed, and she worked for a company up there in Raleigh where the people she worked with were very affluent. And it kind of exerted a pressure on us to be a little bit more materialistic, um, to feel like we need to drive a little bit nicer car. We need to dress a little bit more nicely. It was a bit of a peer pressure situation for us, even as adults, early in our marriage. So the first wise tip for being a wise neighbor, be a good influence. What kind of influence are you having on the people around you? The second one, this one's emphasized a little bit more. This would be, actually, I'm sorry, number three. I can't seem to get this countdown format in my mind. Number three. This one is not one that I would have made up, but it's in Proverbs quite a bit. Be financially free from your neighbors. Be financially free from your neighbors. Look with me at Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger... If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. On verse 1, he says, if you have put up security for your neighbor, and then urges them to urgently get out from that snare. What he's talking about is a practice where you could vouch for your neighbor in such a way that you would become obligated in their debt. So it's sort of like co-signing for a loan, but you would be with your neighbor to the lender saying, I'll vouch for them, and if, if they fall through, you can take my house. And he's saying, never, ever do that for a neighbor. Don't do that for a neighbor. Now, I know that may seem like it has a very narrow application, But I think it connects to a broader principle in Proverbs. And you don't have to flip to this one, but I'll read it real quickly. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Generally speaking, debt is foolish. Generally speaking, debt is foolish. And especially debt on behalf of another. Okay, we're just talking about financial debt here. I think the principle beneath this is don't get financially entangled with your neighbors. So some some more practical applications for us than co-signing loans, which probably doesn't happen very often. I think that it's wise to be slow to borrow things from a neighbor. You know, I borrowed my girlfriend's father's car to drive her to the senior prom and wrecked it. And it doesn't get much worse than that. I would have so much rather wrecked my own car than my girlfriend's father's car. I think it's wise to be slow to borrow things 
from neighbors. I think it's wise to be slow to lend things to neighbors unless you're willing to never see it again. It's probably better and more Christian to give things than to lend things. But if you do lend things, you need to be sure in your own heart that you're okay with never receiving it back because if you lend your neighbor your your lawnmower and they mess it up really bad and you get it back, are you going to seek retribution and permanently damage that relationship with your neighbor? Are you just going to let it go? It can get really complicated. I would be very hesitant to enter into joint financial endeavors with neighbors. I read a story about two doctors that worked in the same practice, and one of them found this great real estate deal. It was going to cost millions of dollars, but it was half of what it should cost. And if he could just get somebody to go in with them and purchase it, they could flip it and sell it and make tons of money. And so they went in and on it together, and it just went terribly. They ended up split parting ways, lost their practice, lost the friendship, lost everything. If you damage something of your neighbors, I think the principle behind this would encourage you to, as urgently as possible, fix it. Look how urgent things are in this passage. Do this, my son. Save yourself. You've come into the hand of your neighbor. Hasten. Plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. When we get financially entangled with our neighbors, we get caught up like an animal in a trap. And the wise Christian resolves it as quickly as possible. Be a good influence. Be financially free. The number two most emphasized wisdom for neighbors. This gets a little bit more intuitive. Be kind. Be kind. Now, we know that it's, it's right to be kind and loving toward our neighbors, but Proverbs is saying it's not just right, it's best. It's not just good, it's wise to be kind to your neighbors. Look at Proverbs 3.29. Proverbs 3.29. This would be the entry level of kindness toward our neighbors. Proverbs 3.29 do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Okay, that's a pretty low bar. Hopefully we can all handle that level of wisdom toward our neighbors. Don't plan evil toward your neighbor who dwells beside you trustingly. This is um, like do no harm. It's like in the Hippocratic Oath. First, I will do no harm to my neighbors. I'm not going to scheme against my neighbor. Hopefully none of you are scheming against your neighbor right now. They let their dog come and use the bathroom on your lawn, and you've had enough of it, and you're going to do something to get revenge. Now let's go up one more level of, of difficulty in being kind toward our neighbors. Look at Proverbs twenty five seventeen. Proverbs twenty five seventeen. The two verses I'm about to share with you. I'm gonna we're gonna read twenty five seventeen, and then we're gonna read twenty seven fourteen. I love the bluntness of these verses. Twenty-five, seventeen. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. That's pretty clear. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. And then twenty-seven, fourteen. 
Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. So the first level is just do no harm. Don't plan evil against your neighbors. The second bar is be considerate. Okay, consider their need for space and privacy and even quiet. Don't mow your lawn at 5 a.m. in the morning on a Saturday. Okay, it's, it's not just kind of being a jerk, but it's foolish. It sets your neighbor against you. And you've got to live beside them, you know, for, for decades probably. Don't stand outside of your coworker's office talking loudly about the game while you know they're on the phone and they need a little bit of quiet. Don't play your music at work really loud. Like the, the gal that, that worked at our, the PR firm I worked at for a little bit. She was a, the newest hire and she came in, she was playing this same CD. It must have been her favorite CD. She played it over and over and over again. You know, she was doing an okay job, but man, it set all the people in the office against her. It was just foolish. It was inconsiderate, and therefore it was foolish. Don't stomp around the apartment if you have people living below you. You We had people that lived above us that had dogs and vacuumed daily, probably because of the dog fur. And every time they crank up the vacuum, it sounded like it was dogs racing mopeds around up above us. And it was just circles of dogs, and they would do it all hours. It was inconsiderate. Now, you know, you can't, you can't control everything, but a wise person is considerate of their neighbors. Okay, let's, let's raise the bar a little bit more on being kind. Proverbs 14, 21. This one has more to do to our disposition toward our neighbors. Proverbs 14, 21. Oh, actually, we'll read 20 and 21. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Now what this is talking about is, you know, people in need of help who are genuinely in need. Okay, but it's put in the context of this neighbor principle, the people in our lives. Generally, you'll find that you are drawn to people who have some wealth, have some ability to pay you back or sustain themselves, not be a burden on you. And generally, you will be predisposed to shun or turn away from those who are poor, have no ability to um, to pay you back or to um, reiterate the, tra- the, the friendship. What this is saying is the wise person will not despise, hate, or turn his back on his neighbor, even if they are very poor. Okay, if whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. Despises, hates. So who is it that's in your sphere, in your life, that you despise or hate? Because that might say more about you than it does about them. It says whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. You may say, well, they deserve it. They mow their lawn at 5.30 a.m. in the morning. They stand outside my office and talk loudly. They play their music loudly without thinking about the rest of us. Let's take the bar one step higher for wise kindness towards neighbors. Proverbs 21.10. 
The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. Okay, it's a quality of the wicked to be merciless toward those around us. Okay, which means it's the quality of the righteous, the wise person, to be merciful to the people around us. Remember, mercy is not giving someone the penalty that they have earned for themselves. God has been merciful toward us that he doesn't damn us. Okay, he he could just snuff us all out because of our sin and rebellion, but he's merciful. This is saying the wise person is merciful to those around them toward their neighbors. So let's be wise here and be kind and be slow to take offense because of our neighbors. Be slow to hold a grudge because of our neighbors. Be slow to call animal control to come and pick up your neighbor's dog that keeps getting loose and getting into your yard and messing up your flowers. Be merciful. Be slow to call HOA on your neighbor whose grass is too tall. Be slow to file a complaint at work. Try to be merciful to your neighbors, toward the people around you. Which leads us to the final one, the number one way to be a wise neighbor. Can you guess what it is? Haven't put it up there yet. Be careful with your words. This is probably the most emphasized thing in regard to neighbors in Proverbs. Be careful with your words. And we're certainly not going to read all the scriptures in Proverbs about this, but let's start at Proverbs 11, 9 through 13. Proverbs 11, 9 through 13. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. Verse 9 says, With the mouth of the godless, I'm sorry, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. Words can be extremely destructive. And we have a, a great controversy going around in our culture now about gun safety and background checks and waiting periods. If it were possible to do background checks on words before people were just able to just fling them out there, that would be good. But that's impossible. We all have, we're, we're all armed with these grenades and we can use them whenever we want and we have more ways to use them than ever before with in our pocket access to Facebook and Twitter and email and remember your words are really powerful and they can be extremely destructive when it comes to relationships with your neighbors there's a few ways they can be destructive listed in this passage i just read verse 12 talks about belittling whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense but a man of understanding remains silent that word belittle there is it's, it's the verbal expression of hating or despising. See, a fool belittles his neighbors, either to their face or behind their back. It's foolish. The alternative in verse 12 is silence, but a man of understanding remains silent. 
You know, your mother probably told you if you have nothing nice, nice to say, then don't say anything at all. That's pretty good. That's pretty good advice. Silence is wise most of the time. Picture a really wise person. Just whatever comes to your mind. It's the wisest person you could picture, what they might look like. I'll bet their mouth is closed. Now picture just the most foolish person you can imagine. I'll bet their mouth is open. I read a book one time that advocated a three-second rule. Before saying anything, give yourself three seconds. Take three breaths and then speak. I wonder how many stupid things that I have said in my life I could have stopped if I just gave myself three seconds before I did it. Another way that we can destroy with our words is slander or gossip or being a tale-bearer. In verse 13, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. You know, the wise person understands that he is in an unspoken, unwritten confidentiality agreement with everybody around him. Most things aren't other people's business. You know, as a pastor, I do a lot of counseling, and it's confidential. I don't talk about it to other people. Well, that same mindset really should follow us into all of our interactions with our neighbors. You know, your conversation with your coworker over here really doesn't probably involve your coworker over here and really probably ever need to be shared. Now, there are some exceptions, obviously. There are some times when you need to speak up, and there are some times when there's a danger or a problem that needs to be addressed. But usually those need to be addressed with the actual person and not with everybody else. Okay, sometimes maybe there are exceptions to the rule. But in general, that's how a wise person would handle themselves. You might say, well, yes, I've talked a lot about other people, with other people, but I've never said anything that's not true. I don't think that really matters. You know, that verse we just read says that the opposite of being a slander is keeping a secret covered. So the secret probably is a real thing, but the wise person keeps it covered. Now, if you go around slandering and saying things that are not true, that's even worse. And I'll share with you quickly Proverbs twenty-five eighteen. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. So if you go around and spreading things that aren't even true, then you're like a, an instrument of war against your neighbor. You wouldn't literally go up to your neighbor and club him over the back of the head like a caveman. But with our words, we do that when we say things that are not true or exaggerations. So if, if I have some hard interaction with my neighbor, Julia, okay, I'm trying to think of an example of what that could be. Something happened with Julia and it went bad, and then I go over and talk to Steve about it, and I exaggerate a little bit. In his mind, what happened was a little bit worse than it actually was. Then if he goes and talks to Will about it and he exaggerates just a little bit, then in Will's mind, it's that much worse than it actually was. And then by the time it gets over to Lee Jones, Lee thinks that Julia torched my house and that she just has a heart of, of evil. That kind of stuff happens, and it gets spread by fools. 
Gossip is spread by fools. Fools listen to it. Fools talk about it. See, the wise man snuffs that stuff out. The wise woman snuffs those things out. And beware of the water cooler, the lunch break, your neighbor on the other side of the fence that likes to chew the fat about everybody's goings-on in the neighborhood. Beware of those. It's quicksand. And there's one more that I'll throw in for how we can be wiser with our words as neighbors. This is Proverbs 29.5. Proverbs 29.5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. To flatter is to um, speak expressive but insincere praise to someone or about someone. Especially when it's for your own self-benefit. Now, that's, that's a word of wisdom for you people-pleasers out there. Okay, you who would, would rather exaggerate the other way. Instead of exaggerating how bad Julia was, okay, she genuinely did let her dog come and, and use the bathroom all over my yard. And I don't go and say, oh, I love it. It's great. You're the best. Thank you for your dog. That's flattery, and it, it just entraps you. Okay, then it makes her believe, well, they must like it. And then it makes other people believe, oh, well, they are a fan of Julia. But then when she lets the dog go around and do that to everybody else's yard, then you're lumped in with her. I don't know why I chose you. You're just right there. Flattery is just as foolish as gossip. Flattery is just as foolish as gossip. It's just as dishonest. It's just on the other side of the coin. And really, it makes you just as bad a neighbor. So don't think you can get out of this by just saying, well, I'll just speak profuse positives about everybody all the time. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. It does take genuine wisdom to know when to say anything and when to say nothing. And when you do speak, what to say. Generally, the principle seems to be, be as positive as you can be within the constraints of what's true. Okay, and, and often we are a mess. Okay, we are a mess. And we do often hurt each other and do very foolish, sinful things. And there may be times when the constraints of truth slap shut on saying anything. Because if you said anything positive about the situation or about that person's performance during that presentation or about, you would be flattering. It would be dishonest, insincere praise. And so it's better to just not say anything. Now, I, I don't know if you're like me, but of that list, most of my regrets, most of the obvious folly in my life is in category one there with my words. I have a lot of regrets about my words over the course of my life. You can't take any of them back. You can't un- really easily undo the damage of a lot of them. And as we look at these Proverbs, not just this week, but throughout this whole sermon series, it could be easy to begin to feel condemned and like you're just never going to measure up. And I just want to end on the gospel so that no one walks out of here feeling like that. Even if, if this week you have done awful on all four of these, okay, we don't gain right standing in God's eyes by doing really well at this. Okay, this is a guide for us to live well, to live the best way possible. 
But this isn't how you earn or maintain your salvation. Okay, you receive and enjoy your salvation through Jesus Christ alone by, by keeping your faith in him and trusting in him. There is now, therefore, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So even for me, who, who still have lingering uh, feelings of, of guilt over things I have said that I wish I hadn't said, there's no condemnation. Okay, there's opportunity to repent, receive forgiveness. There's a new life, new heart, the ability to grow in these things and to actually live this way. So I'll close on a verse that's outside of Proverbs. This is in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We don't bring wisdom to the table with God at all. Today wasn't a checklist to see how well you measure up. We don't bring wisdom. We receive it from God. Today was a, a banquet, and, and Proverbs is a buffet where we come and we take this wisdom in. And in Jesus, we can live like this. Jesus becomes for us wisdom, just like he does righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You know, most resolutions... You know, we're into January now. Most people's resolutions are completely behind them. Most people have given up on their resolutions. I won't make you raise your hands, but I'm curious if any of you have already given up on resolutions that you may have made. Some of you probably didn't even get through the resolution process. We give up on our resolutions because we can't just change ourselves and improve ourselves. Christianity isn't about resolve and resolutions. It's about resurrection It's about, through Jesus Christ, God raising us from the dead and giving us new life. So let's not walk out of here resolved to be wiser neighbors. Let's trust in Jesus Christ. Let's follow Jesus Christ. And let's become wise in every way. Let's let this this word begin to permeate our hearts and become who we are because we're new creatures in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for addressing such practical details of life. We have so many relationships, and many of us are so busy, and we have ways to keep in touch with so many people from our past, people that live across the country. It can be dizzying at times to know how to relate to the people right in front of us. But Lord, as Christians, I pray that you would help us to be wise in every interaction we have. This week, Lord, fill us with wisdom through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, help us to be beacons of your divine wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.